Hello and welcome to Let It Be, a podcast about less doing and more being. This is episode 63. So Brooke, we are going to get a little bit heavy today. Recently we ran our A Simpler Way event in Sydney and at that event as part of my presentation I shared my story and that story shared quite a bit about the time in my life where quite extreme stress triggered anxiety which then triggered depression and then the depression got so bad that it actually brought me to that level of hopelessness where I genuinely wondered if it would be easier for everyone in my life if, if I was no longer around. And I also had postnatal depression after the birth of Mia, who's my second child. And you also had postnatal depression. So mm-hmm. this was a request from our group. A lot of the stuff we talk about these days on the on the podcast is driven by our Facebook group. So yeah, today we've been encouraged to try and speak very openly about our experiences with these things because yeah, for all that, we are a society that is becoming better at at talking about things like anxiety and depression. There still is a lot of stigma attached to all of it. So as always, I'm going to make you start. Um, and I, <laughs> and yeah, as I mentioned, so you had postnatal depression after the birth of your second child. So is yes. that kind of your only experience with depression or is it something that's been in and out of your life, do you think, for a while? Yeah, it's interesting. It's the only time I was diagnosed so I was diagnosed after yeah after our second was born. He was about six or eight weeks old, I guess, when things got really bad for me. Like I felt I was talking to myself and having kind of similar thoughts to you in terms of you know things being better for my family if I wasn't around and and just like shockingly horrifying violent kind of thoughts just to myself not to yeah. anyone else and I realized one day when I kind of discovered myself sort of staring in the mirror saying vile things oh. to myself I'm like oh so this is actually probably not not motherhood like necessarily because up until that point all the stress and the anxiety and the sadness and the numbness and the anger and all that stuff I just thought that that was what it was like People were like, well, yeah, being a mum's hard. So, you know, I assumed that it was that. That's what it looked like. And it's tiredness and just as well, it. don't you think? Absolutely. Like, because, and Absolutely. this is what makes, I think, postnatal depression very hard to diagnose is because so many of the symptoms are also symptoms of extreme tiredness and sleep deprivation. Yeah. So it's very easy to put it all off as that, isn't it? And that's kind of what I did, you know, up until that point. I'm like, yeah, okay. You're talking to yourself, you won't answer the phone, you won't go out, mm. you're, you know, angry and sad and all these horrible things all at the same time. Maybe you're not actually okay. So I spoke to Ben about it and I mean I was so fortunate to have the support network that I do. My parents live nearby, Ben's parents live nearby, and within kind of literally hours of saying to Ben, I'm actually not okay, I was like sitting here having a cup of tea with my mom and I Got to, got in to see a doctor and uh, was in to see a psychiatrist within a week. Oh, wow. So incredibly, incredibly fortunate in that way. And I was I saw her for like four years. <laughs> <laughs> but so that was the only time that I was diagnosed with depression. But looking back, undoubtedly, I was suffering postnatal depression after our first was born. Un- like undoubtedly, unequivocally. And I remember when I was maybe 14 or 15, I had to do a, I was part of like a longitudinal study 
yeah. um, genetic study and I was at the children's hospital and it's just as part of it, they ask you to fill out a mental health survey and I, I completed it and she looked at it and she's like, are you, like, are you okay? You know? And I knew what she was getting at. Like it, my answers were not good. And I knew that I was old enough and aware enough to, to know that. And she was really concerned. And I said, oh, no, I'm just having a bad day, you know. Yeah. And I lied. Like, I lied because I didn't like the way she looked at me. I didn't like the feeling of, you know, like maybe I was sick. Maybe there was something wrong. To me, there was a big stigma in admitting that that there was something going on. Yeah. And so looking back, and I was, like, I had significant emotional issues, I think, <laughs> as a teenager. Like, beyond just being angry or, like, a crappy you know, moody teenager. I think that there was like anxiety and potentially depression at play there. And it all came to the fore when I became a mum. And for me, it was like the depression. Yes. But there was also the anxiety factor. I, I would, I would lay in bed at night and I would feel like the bed was shaking, Yeah, you know, and I was just so incredibly overwhelmed by sound and smell and people and all those kind of stimulus. But that thankfully has not lessened <laughs> over the years it has lessened or it hasn't lessened oh god it has, it has. Oh, cool. that's good to hear yeah yeah um, yes yeah um for me it's interesting so i've had kind of it's funny looking back on my life as a teenager because i definitely see periods in there that were definitely depression periods and i would then go on to you know, experience them as an adult, and what I kind of learned with them, like even though I didn't give them the term depression at the time, what I learned was that they would tend to last for about five or six weeks, and then they would just lift. It would be you know, it'd be like clouds or this film over my life and my mood, and I couldn't kind of break out of that film. But I kind of got to knowing that if I just kind of waited it out, it would eventually lift. And I have, so I don't know what that was or is. I don't experience those periods anymore. But yeah, certainly anxiety is something that has been a part of my life forever, even if I didn't have the words for it. And that's kind of my major ongoing thing. But mm. it does tip me over into so it tips me over into depression when it's sustained, when it's relentless. When I had my breakdown, yeah, I had a business that I was running. I had a newborn baby. I was trying to be everything to everyone. I was trying to be the perfect mum and wife and you know daughter and friend and employee and employer or not employee but employer and yeah and so that that brought with it a lot of stress so what I found the kind of progression for me is stress triggers anxiety and then sustained anxiety tips me over into a depressed state and the depression for me is it's almost like I'm Eeyore where there are Mm. literally clouds and rain following me wherever I go and it doesn't matter whether there's good stuff going on or or bad stuff going on in my life like my mood is the same and I can't lift myself out of it so yeah, so I saw a counsellor for after I had my, my breakdown and the one thing she prescribed me as having beyond all of that is exhaustion mm-hmm. and I'll never forget the day that she kind of said to me, you know, Kelly, of everything that's going on, everything that you've told me, everything that's going on in your life, the big word that's coming out at the moment is you are 
exhausted. And I think this is the beauty of counselors is that they're not someone that's part of your life. They're not a friend. They're not a family member. Those people can certainly listen to you and hear you talk about your problems, but they've got skin in the game. They, yeah. they know your history. They know who you are. They've, there's too much of that caught up in how they are perceiving your situation. Whereas to have this completely unbiased person kind of validate that, oh my God, like you are exhausted mm-hmm. and we need to do something about that first before we can do something about anything else was just so validating. And, yeah. and, and also I was like, you know what? I can do something about exhaustion. Like depression and anxiety seemed like a bridge too far almost. Like it was just like yes. too, too big a mountain to climb. But this exhausted feeling, I was like, oh, you know, I can do something about that. I can treat that by getting better sleep I can treat that by getting rid of some commitments and I don't know it just made it a lot easier to deal with since doing all the the work that I did with that particular counsellor every so often I'll find myself heading towards a a depressive period but I can usually arrest it before I get there which is nice yeah I've I've found the same yeah I will occasionally have periods of time where and we've spoken about this before as well life happens yeah you know, think despite best intentions despite all your efforts to space things out and make things you know kind of nicely paced <laughs> doesn't it doesn't always happen like that in the end of last year actually I found myself in that sort of situation where I was just overwhelmed yes to be perfectly honest I had a lot of really big things going on I wasn't on top of any of them and I remember boxing day it all just hit me and I I had this paralyzed kind of overwhelm of anxiety I just sat on my bed and kind of rocked for like an hour I could not think a full thought I could not go and talk to the people who were at our house I couldn't do anything I couldn't sleep I couldn't get a full breath you know and I realized really quickly, whereas it would have taken me maybe a year to feel yeah. to, to figure it out sort of six or seven years ago, I realized really quickly what was going on. And I think once I was able to figure out what it was and to just say, okay, the reason that you're feeling this horrible anxiety is because of X, Y, and Z, and what can I do about it right now? Like I actually genuinely can't do anything about it right now, so let it go. That was incredibly valuable for me to be able to just – soften a little bit because for me it was the resistance like I was resisting I was so hard against how overwhelmed I was feeling that I couldn't see a way forward but if I just kind of gave it a name and that name was anxiety it somehow lifted the the resistance a little bit and allowed me to soften into it and could draw a deep breath and I could sit there and I could have a glass of water and I could just regain myself a little bit. And I think that because of everything I'd been through, because I was able to to give it a name and, and to rationalize a little bit, it actually ironically wasn't as heavy as it was previously. Yeah, I think uh, this is something I talk about a lot in my head. I'm still trying to find a way to talk about it for other people is the power of naming something like yeah. When something has a name, all of a sudden you have so much more power over it. And I think to when I had, so after my very, very bad depressive phase, when I had my breakdown, so it would have been about three or four years later that I had Mia and then I got postnatal depression. And it still kind of spins me out that I didn't pick it up earlier 
Although the doctor said to me, this is a lot earlier than most people pick it up. I was a bit like you. It was about six weeks into her after she was born that I was, yeah, in quite a bad way. But I'd been like that almost immediately after her birth. At the time, I was like, I was tired. I was emotional. And I'm like, well, of course, I've got a newborn. I'm not getting a full night's sleep. And it took, ironically, Ant kind of having a bit of a go at me. I think we just had a fight one day. He was like, you know, I don't want to be around you right now. You're very negative and da-da-da-da-da, which I thought was really mean. But he was just being Ant, which is honest. And I think you almost need to have that person in your life. It took him kind of saying that to kind of make me realize, hang on a minute, he's only saying this because this is not you. This is not normal. And I think what I had got caught up in my head thinking was, maybe this is just how I am now. Like, (laughs) and it's amazing how quickly that thought becomes, you know, you think that three, four weeks is not a very long time period, but within three or four weeks, I had just decided that this is who I am now. I'm this droopy person who, yeah, is very negative and can't see the good in anything and reacts badly to everything that's going around has no resilience like I think that was the major thing I had no resilience for anything going wrong and then once and kind of we had that fight I was like oh hang on a minute there's something going on here that's Mm. yeah and you know so I took myself off to the doctor which was hard to do because I'm always I have this thing about self-diagnosing and then going to the doctor and going I I think I've got this thing I think because I've got a few friends who are doctors and they hate people self-diagnosing or or going to Dr. Google so I had this hang up in my head but anyway I went to the doctor and I just said look this is just what's going on at the moment and she did a test with me went through all the you know the questions that they ask and she's like yeah you know you've got postnatal depression and as soon as she said it I was like oh thank god like yeah thank god that's not just me this isn't my new normal and second of all it was like now we can do something about it because we know what it is and it was just it was just such a nice feeling yeah going right now we've got a name for this thing now we can formulate a plan and almost like I almost felt immediately better in that moment of, <laughs> yeah. of going. I was exactly the same. Isn't, isn't it crazy how like that just lifts. And, and so what, precede, what precedes that thought then was it same for you that were you thinking, oh, well, this is just, this is who I am or are you not yeah. even thinking? I just <laughs> thought that that was, I thought that that was like being me being a mother. I really yeah, did. Like, right. I thought that it was bringing out the worst parts oh. of my personality you know yeah. in, in being a mother because like I always had a temper I was always very moody you know even growing up and I felt like being a mother had just brought those traits to the surface and that's yeah, just who it was right. going to be which is a horrible yes. horrible feeling <laughs> horrible but when I was able to kind of put it in a box almost and say that's what this is so I mean obviously this is very different to like a clinical depression yeah. because for me it had an ending and I do still struggle with the tendencies I think to head to anxiety and depression yeah. but I want to just make it clear for me that it was a very like that that's what it was it was I and when so when I say I put it in a box I could put it in that box that was labeled postnatal depression as much as I think labels are only helping help to a certain <laughs> extent but at that time I was able to to say 
we have a name for this thing and this is not just who I am now. Yes. And I did. I felt better after that first session with a psychiatrist who didn't look at me like I was making it up. She didn't look at me like you're just not coping, dear, or, you know, stop stressing out or, you know, all these things that were really unhelpful that people would say, just relax, just relax. Everything's going to be fine. Just relax. Stop being so uptight. Stop being so negative. <laughs> Yes, yeah, stop. That stop being so negative is is really helpful. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. yeah, and that is, and those are the comments. And people aren't. It's not their intent when they say those things. Not but at they all. Are, the way that those comments make you feel is, I'm the worst person ever, and this is, and this is who I am now. Like this is defining me. Yeah, and yeah, it's just it's so freeing to go. Oh, yeah, no, this is not who I am. This is just. There's something I've got going on at the moment that I need to deal with. Yeah. And and that's a great thing about personal depression is it does have an end point. I yes. know people who battle depression on a daily basis and it's it's just part of their life and that's so hard, but it's a management strategy as with anything. So I know people who battle depression. I battle anxiety every single day and it's funnier never had a name for it until oh a good few years ago my friend Kerry Satfall wrote a book the little book of anxiety and I read that book and I was like oh my god like this thing mm-hmm. this constant this thing that has been a constant buzz in the back of my brain for as long as I can remember and that you know that people will always tell me oh you're such a worrier just stop worrying and just stop this and oh don't think about that and not helpful (laughs) um because all that did was tell me that the way that I thought there was something wrong with how I thought (laughs) and I needed to think right and yet having a name for it has been supremely helpful particularly in recent years as it does seem to be getting worse which is a little bit frustrating for me Mm. because it seems like the more work I do to manage it life events I've had some big life events that have been not traumatic but traumatic and they have been highly triggering and unfortunately um, so the big things for me that that cause anxiety are conflict like conflict is a massive massive thing so there was a client going back five or six years or maybe even longer than that seven or eight years that there was something big went down with them and I didn't realize at the time that my fear of sitting down in front of my computer in case there was an email from them and mm-hmm. the way that I would shake before, you know, opening up my email, I didn't realize that was anxiety. Mm. When something happened with a neighbor where they got quite violent and then I had full on panic attack, but at that time I didn't mm. know it was a panic attack or anxiety. And then in the past few years, we've had, I've had some quite big things go down on a conflict kind of level. And so now, today, like any level of conflict kind of sends me off the charts. And it's very frustrating because I'm like, I know so much more now. I know, yeah, I practice mindfulness. I practice meditation. I have medication if I need it. Like, Do you think that, that the fact that you're more aware of your mind, like your, your state of mind, and you're more aware of what it feels like to be going under or to be struggling also makes it, I don't want to say, feel like it's worse than it, than, than it used to be. But do you know what I mean? Like well, it's the, the way, more yeah, aware we are of yeah. it, the more we kind of tap into it more readily. So yeah. sometimes I know for me I can say I'm feeling really anxious 
Uh, whereas five years ago, I wouldn't have been able to say that because I didn't have the words to describe it or the, the feeling or the, the point of reference to describe it. Whereas now I feel like I say I'm anxious more than I used to. Yes. But that's because I'm more aware of it as well. Yeah, oh, I definitely think that plays into it. And actually, it's the thought that I had this week of like, I just wonder if all this awareness is actually not serving me all that mm. well. And I guess, yeah, it's probably time to go back and speak to someone about it. Like, I do think if something is starting to get worse, even though you have got more techniques for managing it, it is probably time to seek more professional mm. help because, yeah, it is quite frustrating. So you and I have both read Sarah Wilson's new book and you actually spoke to Sarah about it recently on Slow Your Home podcast and that was a great interview, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so it was funny, interesting reading her book because she did mention in the book the need, if you're an anxious person, to have like a grounding person to call on and I think she really struggles with perhaps that lack of that grounding person in her life. And, yeah, I know for me that... And she calls people who can get through, who get through life without, you know, the anxiety and the overthinking, calls them like life naturals. And I laughed (laughs) because Ant is totally that life natural where he is just, yeah, that is his natural state. Like he does not overthink things. He lives very much, not consciously, like it's not something he says to himself, but he's very much that can I do something about this? Yes, I'll do something. If no, then I just accept it for what it is and I don't give it any more thought, which I just like look at him and go, that is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Teach me your ways, please. But, you know, I've been with him for over 20 years now and it's rubbed off on me a little bit, but not entirely. But he is my grounding person. And we actually had a chat about anxiety the other day and he said, look, you know, I just, I don't understand it because I've never experienced it. And I kind of explained to him like, you know, what it feels like and and what triggers it and how as much as I would love to just be able to think it away, there's a large physiological factor, factor there as well. So something is triggered physiologically in your brain. It does make you get panicky and something feels like it's sitting on your chest and you can't just go oh, well, there's nothing I can do about this, so go away. Like, it, yeah. you know, I'd love for that to work, but it doesn't work for me. And, yeah, certainly in explaining it to him, he's like, okay, well, cool. So now I get that. I know there's nothing that I can do about it when you are kind of caught in the grip of it, but I can at least just be here and just say to you, is there anything I can do? And that's what he says now. He goes, is there anything I can do? And I'll just say, no, <laughs> not really. And he's like, okay, no worries. And, you know, but he's kind of there and he's just that very, very grounding person. And I guess I just wanted to ask you how important you feel that grounding person is. Vital for me. Yeah. Pretty much vital. <laughs> so Sarah in her book writes about like people who are fortunate enough to have a Miss Jane, you know, and that yes. goes back to the Mr. S- Miss yep. Squiggle TV show. Miss Jane kind of holds onto Miss Squiggle. Mr. Squiggle's feet and stops him from floating off into outer space. And, and she said how fortunate some of her friends are for having married Miss Janes, you know, people who are there, yes. they're grounding, they are that oppositional force, the person who's just tends to the rational just naturally. And Ben is that person for me. And I'm incredibly fortunate and understanding more and more how fortunate yes. I am for that to be the case. 
And I think for me, it's really vital. And it doesn't need to be like a romantic partner. It can be a friend or a parent or a sibling or, you know, like a housemate or someone who is just that counterweight to when we feel ourselves starting to drift off or starting to, to come unstuck. And I think that it's, it's really important. And that's where, I mean, this conversation can then open out into things like making sure that we tend to our friendships and our relationships mm. in order to, to keep that open and all of those things, which can be so hard when you're anxious or depressed or, or struggling with those things, because often you don't want to do those things. That's um, right. You just or, don't, you don't, as you said before, when you had PND, how you just didn't, you just didn't want to leave the house. And I was the I same. Like I, I got to the point where it was just too hard mm-hmm. to go somewhere yet if I did, I didn't regret it. Like I wasn't no. sitting there going, well, I shouldn't have, I knew I shouldn't have left the house. No, no, I, I would go, oh, I'm so glad I made the effort to leave. Yep. But, but usually when you're in the grips of it, you're just sitting there going, I just can't, you know, and that's really difficult to, to push through. But as you say, if you have got those very grounding people in your life, you know, but, but how do you feel also then about feeling like you call on them all the time Mm. to ground you because I guess with our partners you know you and I both lucky it's our partners and and I think the thing the lovely thing about Ant is that he doesn't question it or accept it or make me feel less because I am this way he's without sounding completely cheesy like it's it's the very definition of unconditional love like he's just like this is who you are. And I think that that level of acceptance from this person who I've chosen to be my life partner, like is so vital because I never feel like I'm a burden to him. I just feel like he's just like, well, yeah, this is, you know, this is a thing that's happening and I'm, you know, I know what you need from me, which is to just be here and I'm here and, and that's the end of the story. And yeah, and I know that that is difficult to find, but when we find those people, so good and how do we maintain those I guess relationships do you think I think it's just turning up you know it's turning up and being and like that's a really kind of pat annoying response I'm fully aware (laughs) (laughs) because it's none of it is that is that straightforward I think like you said when you when you're fortunate enough for for it to be your partner and someone who you feel secure in your relationship with and you don't often, or I certainly don't often feel like I'm being a massive burden. Like there are times, don't get me wrong, where I do. And I've said to Ben, like, man, I must be hard being married to me. Yeah, I say that all the time. I say thank you for sticking around. (laughs) Exactly. And I've I've changed a lot and I've become more emotionally transparent I think which can be good but can also be quite challenging for people who are close to you because you find yourself talking about things that are uncomfortable or intense and I'll get I'll sometimes just get a look that's like man really (laughs) I can't do heavy right now Uh, so I think when it's not like when that's not your grounding person it would obviously potentially be a lot more difficult because I think we, we maybe tend to question those relationships or the, the outlines of those relationships change over time, particularly if it's a friend or, mm. you know, a sibling because their lives change and, and all of those things kind of have a flow on effect. But I think not shifting into like that, that victimhood sort of mentality is also helpful yes. to just be 
like owning where you're at and owning the fact that you're having these conversations and owning the fact that yes, sometimes you need that support uh, and that's what you're asking of them, but also owning the fact that you, they, they can't be your go-to all the time either. Like you need yeah. to, to have a set of strategies and a set of coping mechanisms and a broader network of people who you can tap into in a very reciprocal way. Like we don't want to be the person who's constantly taking you know, and, yes. and putting yourself in a position where you can be the giver sometimes and help people as, as need be. And I mean, that's, that's good relationships and relationships are compromise. That's, that's basically the definition of being in a relationship. It's compromising and, and giving what the other person needs and taking what you need and, and trying to find a, a wobbly kind of balance between the two. And I think that, yeah, just not allowing it to tip too heavily into your favor too often you know is is kind of the key to maintaining that yeah I agree and just so just I guess quickly to finish up because there's there's lots that we can talk about on this topic but I guess one big thing we can both talk about is what we do now to kind of manage Mm. these things so that we are on top of them more often than not so I know for me exercise is massive but what I have discovered quite recently is I have to be careful with the incredibly intense exercise in which I I quite love. I I love, you know, nothing more than going to a CrossFit class and just smashing myself for Mm. 20 minutes but I've learned that if I do that when I'm in a kind of a peak anxiety moment or day, that's not – that actually makes it worse and, and that would probably be your adrenaline. Yeah, um, it tips yeah. me. It tips me over. I'm already over the edge. It, it kind of throws me over the edge. Yeah. I've only recently come to realize that. And so I know that on those kind of very, very adrenal heavy days, I need to go for a gentle walk and and be kind to myself rather than just going. Oh, I'm just going to go out and smash it. No, just. How about go out for a nice easy walk, and and that mm. does bring me down a lot. Do you, you find the same with walking and exercise in general? Yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge smashing no. kind of person. <laughs> no, not many people are. <laughs> let's be honest. I'm not normal in that regard. <laughs> I, uh, I I remember when I, I was probably about six months into the postnatal depression. Everyone's like, you got to exercise. You have to exercise. It's incredibly important. And I got it, and I understood that. So I started going to the gym. And I would go to the gym most mornings and I would sort of do 45-minute circuit training situation. Like nothing insanely over the top. Yeah. But I would come out every day feeling like death. Yeah. And, of course, what I know now is that my adrenal gland and and my entire kind of nervous system – was that was the opposite of what I needed yeah, to be doing. It was overloading it effectively. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would come out feeling like I was going to vomit and then I'd go and I'd, I could I could have gone home and slept for four hours every time. People like, you know, it really gives you all this energy. I'm like, no, it doesn't. So when I discovered yoga and when I discovered meditation, those two things were vital for me in, in kind of coming in to tune with how my body responds to movement. Like it loves moving and yes. I do things now like we go rock climbing. I can't do yoga at the moment. I've got a hip injury, yeah. but I can do Pilates. I can do lots of other things. It's just, you know, overstretching the back half of my body has led to hip issues anyway. So I, I know that movement, walking, bushwalking, even like a really rigorous four hour hike is wonderful. It's yeah. just that, you know, that, that kind of smashing it out sort of, exercise wasn't good for me and yeah meditation honestly even now where I feel like I'm at a pretty even keel most days if I don't meditate if I miss it for a couple of days I can tell like I can tell 
really quickly. And I think it's that awareness that's also key because you start to tap into what is and isn't working. And and like we were saying before, I can arrest that cycle much more quickly now than I used to be able to, which I think is, is partly growing older. It's partly knowing more. It's partly paying more attention and just really simple things like moments of mindfulness, which I I cringe when I say that now, (laughs) it's such a, it's such a buzzword and people are like, Oh, so what do you color in or something like that? And like, I don't, it's fine if that's what other people do, but just something as simple as stopping and sitting in the sun for one minute yes. after I've hung the clothes out or just those moments that take nothing out of your day. They just give you that space. Well, they just bring you back, literally bring you back to the moments so instead of like exactly. walking up the hill, you know, to your house and your mind's like, oh, now I'm going to do this. I'm going to, and you just yep. go, no, just, I'm just going to look at the sky yep. as I walk up the hill. And it just bring it does just it kind of anchors you back in the moment. It's a little bit like that Miss Jane thing, like your mind is going yeah. off, and Miss Jane's just pulling it back to just just exactly. Here. And it's just developing those those strategies and those techniques over time, and recognizing when you need them, and also making them a part of your day before it becomes like a dire need. Yeah. So kind of you know forward planning or like pre-stocking your reserves of, <laughs> of mindfulness and space and calm and clarity so that there will be times where you need to tap into them and maybe deplete them and you the last thing you want to be doing is depleting yourself beyond you know beyond what you can take so it's kind of stocking up and making it part of your day every day so I've been dipping in and out of meditation so I've been doing I've been practicing mindfulness for quite a for quite a while now and that's definitely been helpful like those moments of mindfulness kind of mindfulness like I have those peppered throughout my day now and they're just habit now like certain triggers for me I just kind of come back to the moment but yeah as I said I had that it hasn't been quite enough to keep a lid on the anxiety that I Mm. feel so I'm kind of made the commitment after listening to you and Sarah talk about it on the slow home podcast where you both said meditation was a non-negotiable and I've kind of made the commitment up for the next month to really double down on making time in my day for you know between five and 15 minutes of meditation and you know it's that whole saying of like you know every day I meditate for one hour except on the days that I'm very busy and don't have time to meditate on those days I meditate for two hours you know yeah like it's that kind of thing where the days where I catch myself going I don't have time to like carve out 10 minutes to sit down like that that's a real sign so I'm yeah really making the commitment to do that for the next month to see if that just helps yeah helps a bit with it because yeah things have yeah they're getting to a point where it's kind of affecting how I get through my days and Mm. I don't like it you know it's because it's not me and I guess that's the thing it's to be able to recognize and go okay this is not me and this is not and I know that there's something that can be done about this so let's let's do those things effectively Thank you for listening to this episode of Let It Be. If you want to connect with Kelly or myself, you can find us on social media. Kelly is at Kelly Exeter on Twitter. And on Facebook, if you search for A Life Less Frantic, you will find her there. And on uh, Twitter, I'm at Brooke McCallery. And on Facebook, I'm at Slow Your Home. And uh, if you wanted to either reach out to us on Twitter, you can use hashtag Let It Be Pod. Or uh, head over to letitbe.fm and you can find our show notes and other information about the show. Uh, Finally, if you wanted or felt 
you know, the desire to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. That would be wonderful. And, um, you know, we, we read them all and we appreciate you taking the time to listen and then uh, tell us what you think. Jackrabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.